scripture reading will be from John chapter 11. If you find that, you can stand John chapter 11. And I'm going to read beginning in verse 17. I want to thank Todd and Alex again for the, just a the great job they're doing leading the music and ministry that is to us. Just really appreciate them so much. John eleven seventeen. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days, Lazarus. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary still sat in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. We do thank you, Father, for this day that we can celebrate all that you have accomplished for us in Christ. And that we can, in our hearts and with our mouths, say as Jesus did, it is finished. And we thank you, God, for that. There is nothing we can add to our salvation, nothing we need to add to it. That Jesus has done it all. Our sins have been paid for. We have been washed clean, purchased with the very blood of Christ. We are no longer our own, but we are yours. We've been born again, all who have placed their faith in Christ by the Spirit of God, born from above. And we've been given the Spirit as a pledge of that redemption and inheritance until Jesus comes again. We thank you, God, that you have given us life in your Son. And we thank you, Lord, that the moment that we placed our faith in Jesus, we entered into eternal life, never to die again. And God, we just thank you that we can gather together freely, In the name of your Son, and we do pray that he would be exalted as the living one within each of our hearts this day and each day that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this is truly the event in history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that changed everything. Everything. There are a number of other things that have changed the course of history, but did not change everything. Inventing the wheel, electricity, nuclear power, discovering that cows were made out of meat, (laughs) changed a lot. Pizza. But there's one thing that absolutely changed everything, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because we all are going to die. It is the one thing that all humanity has in common. Every one of us is going to die. And so we all have a same problem. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us there is an answer to that problem. I've decided that if I have anything to do about when I die, and we don't, but I want to die on Easter. I was just part of a funeral yesterday, and I thought, how nice of that guy to have died on Easter. Um, actually, a woman, his wife, he, the, the both couples, they, they both died three years apart from each other, both at Easter. And um, 
you know, Christmas is not a good time to die. I mean, everybody's opening presents and everything. It's just a sad time to die. Ruins holidays for everybody. Um, the rest of the year, everybody's just so busy. And then there's vacations, you know, there's spring break, and, you know, but, but Easter is the perfect time to die. I think that's why Jesus died on Easter. <laughs> but seriously, what a great time to pass from this life into glory. When we're already, our hearts and minds are focused on the fact that there is a resurrection for all, but especially for the people of God. Because if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the resurrection that you will experience is a resurrection unto life. There can't be better news than that. And, and I know that this is just one of many passages of Scripture that I could have gone to that speak on the resurrection. And I wanted to, want to speak to a couple of them this morning. But, but Martha and Mary, you know, suffering through the funeral of their brother, who was also probably their provider, and their world probably felt that it had come to an end, as it does for many of us when dear ones, people that are very significant in our lives, are taken from us. You just wonder, how am I going to continue on? And then to know that Jesus could have kept it from happening would have just been even more painful, added to their grief. But then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And that's the hope and the confidence that we have that once we die, as I'm fond of saying, our last breath here will be our first breath in eternity. And so we can slip away from this life. Now, it's typically with pain. We all understand that. But the Bible describes the death, the physical death, as being comparable to simply just going to sleep if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Because we immediately step into the presence of God. Absent from the body is present, present with the Lord. So even though we die, we will live. But then the next verse, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, what is that about? Because he just said, if you die, you'll live. But here's the greater truth. You're never going to die. That's amazing. And I believe what he's speaking of is that, that because when you, a person puts his faith in Jesus, says, Jesus, save me from my sin. I trust in you and you alone. The Bible says that you... You come to be inhabited by Christ himself. And Jesus is eternal life. You receive his very life, eternal life. And it's a life that does not cease. So in John chapter 5, Jesus is speaking to not dying. And he says in John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, not will receive eternal life when they die, but the moment you place your faith in Christ, you receive eternal life, and does not come into judgment, but has passed at that moment out of death into life. So the moment that you place your faith in Christ, you have passed out of death into life, because life without Christ is a living death. And life with Christ is life itself. And so you immediately come into life. 
And the physical death is nothing in comparison to the life that we are brought into the moment we place our faith into Christ. And Revelation tells us at the very end, the end of of human history, that there will be a great white throne judgment where all of hell will be brought before God, all the inhabitants of hell, and God will judge every single person who did not place their faith in Christ, and they will be cast into the lake of fire, and the Bible says, which is the second death. And that will never be the experience of those who have placed their faith in Christ. That's why Jesus can say, those who have placed their faith in him will never die, because they have passed out of judgment and into life. Amazing what God has done on our behalf. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is another passage that deals a lot with the resurrection. And it is a passage that is often read at funerals when we talk, when it tells us that absent from the body is present with the Lord. It tells us that even though this body should be torn down, we have a new body in the heavens that we shall receive. So it speaks about the resurrection that, of the body that all people will experience. And in a unique way, Christians, because again, they are raised unto life and not unto death. It says, because of that resurrection, we live in the knowledge of God's love for us. We live in the fear of God. And in verse 9, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, not to be judged, but to be rewarded. That each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. But we have already passed out of judgment, passed out of death, and have entered into life. I have a couple memories of Easter Sundays throughout my childhood. One of my earliest. It was Easter Sunday. We were down in Harlingen, Texas at my grandparents' home. And um, we were all dressed in our finest Easter Sunday dress. My little and only sister was just beautifully dressed by my mom. Nice, beautiful white dress, little black satin shoes on and these white ruffle socks. And she was maybe four, five years old at the very oldest, probably more like four. And I went out into the garden that my grandparents had, and I dug a hole. And I filled that hole with water. And I, and I covered the top of the hole with leaves so that you couldn't see that there was a hole there with water. And I got my sister and one of my brothers, and we stood on either side of my sister, held her hand, and took her for a nice stroll through the yard. And we strolled her right through the garden and right over that hole. And when she fell in, she was almost up to her hips in black mud. We ran away. (laughs) My sister ran into the house crying. And her beautiful white dress and white ruffled socks had been ruined. And my brother and I got an Easter Sunday spanking. (laughs) I remember that Easter vividly. (laughs) I also remember an Easter, and it may be because that first Easter showed me very clearly that I am a sinner who needs a Savior. And my father lovingly reinforced that truth. (laughs) 
I think it might have been the next year. I don't know for sure. But it was sometime not long after that Easter Sunday that on an Easter Sunday, I heard a pastor in church preach on the sufferings of Jesus. I don't think he ever mentioned the resurrection of Christ. But he did a great job talking about how much Jesus endured for us. And as a 10-year-old boy, it made a major impact on me. God knew what I needed to hear. And I went home, um, and that night I couldn't sleep. All I could think on was how much Jesus had suffered for me. And by the Spirit of God, I understood that it was not just him dying for the world. It was him dying for Charlie. And I also, by the Spirit of God, understood that he did it because he loved me. And having never heard what it meant to receive Christ or to become a Christian, in bed that night, I said, Jesus, I want you to love me. And I believe I heard him say in my heart, I do love you. And I will love you. And I truly believe that is the night that I became a child of God. And that brings me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. This is not our love for Christ. This is his love for us. Christ's love for us controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. An amazing thing. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God loved this world, and Jesus, the Son of God, loved this world. And he gave himself to us because he loves us. If we don't think with marvel and awe on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it may be because we think too highly of ourselves. I think if we truly understood how God sees us, though we have been made in the image of God and we are loved by God, Without Christ, we are helpless, ungodly, we are at enmity with God, we are sinners, and we have no hope. A people whose every thought and inclination is toward evil. Jesus willingly took our iniquity upon himself because he loves us. I wonder if we don't wander wander at the death and resurrection of Christ, if we're not in awe of who he is and what he has done, is because perhaps we think too highly of ourselves. Someone might perhaps die for a righteous man, Paul says, but while we were yet unrighteous, Jesus died for us. Or it may be that we think too little of the cost That Jesus paid. A separation from the Father and taking an eternity's worth of punishment for sin upon himself. What he endured was much worse than the cross. And we can't imagine enduring the cross. It was itself the most 
and still remains the most brutal form of execution that man has ever devised. And if there's anything man has been creative about, it's how to kill each other. And there is no more painful form of execution than the cross. And yet the separation from his father, taking sin upon himself and becoming sin, was infinitely more than what the cross was. He loves us. And we are, ought to be controlled in everything we say, do, and think in the knowledge of that. I have heard a couple of school teachers say to me they can always tell which kids come from homes where they are loved and homes where they are not loved on the very first day of class. The way the children behave, how they conduct themselves with other children, they say they immediately can tell which children come from loving homes. Because unconsciously, all of their behavior is being governed by the fact that they come from a secure, loving home. And we ought to be controlled in all that we do every day in the knowledge that Jesus gave himself for us and has risen from the dead. Verse 15, he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore... From now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. I think that one of the things that Paul's getting at here is that Jesus didn't just die um, for those that he favored, those some and not others. He died for the whole world, irrespective of their race, their religion, their ability He took none of that into consideration, and he died for every single individual. He loves all. So much of the time, our love is a prejudicial love. It's based on what we receive from others, how they treat us, what we can get from them. And we love them according to the flesh, rather than as God loves them, loves them with no respect to the flesh. None whatsoever. But understanding how he loves us, it governs us, controls us, influences us to love others as he has loved us. So now we no longer recognize others or judge others or relate to others according to the flesh. It just doesn't matter. God didn't love me according to my flesh. Why should I love others according to their flesh? We love as we've been loved. This is something to get a hold of. Because I know that if you're anything like me, no matter how long you've been a Christian, you still wonder if you're lovable because of your flesh. Well, good news, you're not. (laughs) None of us are. In fact, if it's only my flesh that God's looking at, my humanity, not just my, and flesh is more than just sin. It includes sin, but just my humanity, if that's the drawing card for God to love me, then there is no reason for him to love me. He loves me for what's in his heart, not for what's in my heart, not for how I perform or fail to perform. He loves me. And so I need to no longer recognize myself according to the flesh. 
You're a good boy today, Charlie. Oh, God loves you today. You're a bad boy today, Charlie. Oh, maybe God doesn't love you today. I don't know why anybody else should love you today. You've been ugly today. It's a great thing about families is that we have to love each other, at least in theory, even, <laughs> even when we're ugly, right? We don't love each other according to the flesh. And we need to understand God does not love us according to the flesh. He loves us in Christ. And he loves all. And so now, because we're controlled by his universal love, his love that is without partiality and without prejudice, we love each other as he loves us. Verse 17, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creature. Brand new. The old man has been crucified with Christ. A new man has been created, a new creature. And it is that new man that God relates to us on the basis of, and that is the basis that we relate to others. The new creature that God has made. Amazing thing. The grace of God. I believe that's what he has in mind when he says the old things passed away. I believe it's the, he, in the context of what he's talking about here, it's the old ways of evaluating people. That's passed away. We are a people, a community, who relate to each other on the basis of what God has done in our lives. And we are new creatures born again from above by the Spirit of God. And we don't simply relate on the basis of those external things that are the basis of judging that the world uses. Those aren't even important. Those are old things that have passed away. So in other contexts, it's all about you know, common interest, common um, resources, whatever, just all the commonalities that you can imagine that we have in mind. And that's why the church is such a unique thing. We are such a mixed lot that comes together in the name of Jesus, and it simply doesn't matter when we are being controlled by the love of God, what a person's background is, what his financial status is, what his color is, what his education is. It doesn't matter because we relate to each other in Christ as Christ relates to us. The love of God controls us. We are new creatures in Christ, and it is on that basis that we relate to each other. Now, I have, as I was looking over this passage and, and meditating and thinking on it, I realized, you know, this, this one verse here can be a bit problematic. Verse 14, where it says that, that he, we conclude that he died for all, therefore all died. Verse 15, and he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves. So we have to be a little careful here, and I don't want to go off on too long of a tangent, but this is important here. And he says that he died for all, therefore all died. What does that mean? And and there's a tendency here, because it is a difficult passage, to want to to make this passage say some things that it's not saying. And, And always the simplest thing is just to let it be simple, let it say what it says, and stand and let it fall where it falls. And so I think it just truly means what it says. Jesus died for all. 
Every single man, woman, boy, and girl who has ever lived and ever will live, Jesus died for them all. And that means that in God's economy, as Jesus gave himself for all men, God sees every man as having died in Christ. But does that mean that he sees every man, woman, boy, girl, child, every person saved? And see, don't say too much. The next verse seems to make a differentiation where it says in verse 15, he died for all, that, here's the exception, or the differentiation, that they who live, so everybody, Jesus died for all, all died with him. So when Christ died, again, this is the picture of Jesus being the last Adam or the second Adam. When Adam sinned, all of humanity was in Adam and sinned with Adam. When Jesus died, all of humanity was dying with Jesus, is what the scriptures say. But it doesn't mean that all humanity was made alive with Jesus. So it makes that distinction here in verse 15, he died for all, so that they who live, because not all will live, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So in other words, he's speaking of a universal death. Jesus died for all men, and all men universally died with him. But he is not speaking that universally all men come to life with him. So that got me to thinking. How much does Scripture say in this, in this um, thought here of universality? We know, and there will be no dispute on this, universally, the scripture says, all have sinned, and the wages of sin for all is death. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you don't think that's true of you, go ask your parents. Go ask your spouse. Ask your children. And God will show you that you are a sinner who falls short of the grace of God. There is no exception to that. The scripture tells us of the universal desire of God. We've been looking at 1 Timothy 2 recently in church. We'll go back to that after this Sunday. 1 Timothy 2, 4. God our Savior desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Acts 17.30, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. I think these, and these are just a few of the many verses that I could be reading this morning. It is clear, scripture says, all men are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. It is clear that scripture says God desires all men to be saved. Jesus makes a universal offer of rest or a universal offer of salvation to all men. Matthew eleven twenty eight, one of many verses. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He speaks, Jesus does, of a universal drawing of all men. In John twelve thirty two. if I be lifted up, speaking of his crucifixion, I will draw all men to myself. Scripture speaks of a universal resurrection that's going to take place. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22. For since by one man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, 
so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But not necessarily raised to life. So the scripture makes a distinction in this resurrection that's going to take place. The believer enters into spiritual resurrection the moment that person places his faith in Christ. The life of Christ, Christ himself, comes to indwell that person. He passes from death into life. But if you've never placed your faith in Christ, when you die physically, there is a second death awaiting you. This is what scripture says. As one person has put it, pointed it, has, has, has described it, and it's a great way to describe it, either you are going to be born twice and die once, or you are going to die, be born once and die twice. That is what the scripture portrays for us. If you have not received Christ, then you have not entered into the new birth of the Holy Spirit, which only he can accomplish. And I know if you haven't received Christ, it just seems like, what is that guy even talking about? And Jesus says, I know these things are hard to understand, just like a man can understand the coming and going of the wind. takes the Spirit of God. But one thing you should be able to understand, you're a sinner, and you fall short of the grace of God and the glory of God. And there is only one Savior from sin, and that is Jesus Christ. And I can tell you on the authority of God's Word that if you say, Jesus, save me, my trust is in you and you alone, and I know I'm a sinner, and I know that you're the, if anybody can save me, it is only you. That God's word says you will be saved. And you are a child of God. And you pass from death to life. And you will know what I'm talking about. But all men, one way or another, are going to be raised. Those who have placed their faith in Christ are going to be raised. The, immediately we go into the presence of God spiritually. But the body will be raised and will be transformed into a new body. And we will be clothed with that body for the rest of eternity. Everyone else will be raised to stand before the judgment seat of God, the great white throne judgment, to be judged and to be sentenced to an eternal separation from God. The scripture speaks of that universal judgment When it says in Acts 17, 31, he will judge the world in righteousness through a man. Not some of the world, all of the world. But again, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have passed out of judgment and into life. The scripture says there will be a universal confession that Christ is Lord. Philippians 2, 9 to 11, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, I don't believe that's speaking of a universal salvation, but it is saying there will be a universal confession. Those who do not confess that Jesus is the Lord now, there is a day coming in eternity when they will bow their knee and they will say, Jesus is Lord. I believe the scripture speaks very clearly of a universal death and atonement of Jesus Christ. John 1, 29, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John three sixteen that I've already quoted, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
Romans 5.18. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. 2 Corinthians 5.14, where we are now, for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. 1 Timothy 4.10, the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. 1 John 2, verse 2, He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. There is a universal sin and death, a universal desire of God, a universal offer of rest, a universal drawing of Christ, a universal resurrection, a universal judgment, a universal confession that Jesus is Lord. And He died universally. For all. But none of those truths should lead us to think that there will be a universal salvation. The scripture says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. The scripture says, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The scripture says, for if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. The scripture says, he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Jesus says in Matthew 25, those who go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. There are two destinies, not one. And finally, Revelation 20, 11 to 15, that I've already been alluding to. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. There is no greater day than Easter. Jesus has risen from the dead. It is good news for all humanity. But unless Jesus' death and resurrection is personally appropriated all that he's done will not bring you into life until you humbly, honestly before God, just simply come to Jesus and say, Jesus, save me, a sinner. And the scripture says, no one who places their faith in him will be disappointed. He is the Savior of this world. And folks, once we have placed our faith in Christ, I pray that increasingly we would truly have our hearts illumined to knowing the significance of his resurrection, as Paul prayed. 
And that we increasingly would have our hearts each and every day controlled by the knowledge that he loves us. I understand life is hard. And I don't understand it as well as many of you do. But I know that there is nothing in this life that can overcome the love of God. Nothing in this life that can separate us from the love of God. And that he would have us to have every thought about ourselves controlled by his love for us. Every thought about our brothers and sisters in Christ controlled by his love. Every thought about lost humanity controlled by his love for us. And with that in mind, Paul says, we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. And the last thing God would want is for us to come together on a Sunday morning in the name of Jesus Christ and to leave thinking of no one but ourselves. We have been given a ministry of reconciliation. He says, namely, verse 19 of 2 Corinthians 5, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. And that means we have been made ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Verse 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I was very challenged this week. I did some reading on the life of Watchman Nee, famous Chinese brother who was... um, very greatly used of God to start the um, local church, the non-governmental registered churches in China prior to the communist revolution. Shortly after his conversion, immediately after his conversion, while a college student in China, he was burdened to pray for his lost college classmates. And he made a list of 70 of his friends and started praying for them every day. He said that sometimes he was praying for them throughout his classes, just sitting there praying for his lost friends. And then he testifies that in a very short time, in the next few months, all but one of those 70 friends came to faith in Christ. He wasn't just praying for them. He was speaking to them. Challenged my heart. Jesus lives. And he doesn't just live to get me out of hell and into heaven. He lives in me. He has given me a ministry, a new vocation. And the primary vocation that we all have as the people of God is to bear witness that there is a living God who gave his son for us, who rose again from the dead, who loves us and controls us, and we love you because he loves us. And to speak to those people about the one who has brought us into relationship with himself, And that we would be those who are being ministers of God to see others brought into that relationship with him where they are reconciled to him. And the passage concludes, he made him who knew no sin to become sin. Amazing. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. The next time, That you look in the mirror and say, God, I am anything but righteous. Take that thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. It is from the devil. The word of God says, you are the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And let your thoughts, actions, words, 
be controlled by Christ's love for you and all that he has done for you. He lives, he loves you, he gave himself for you, and he lives to save you. He lives to live his life through you. And I pray that we would be made bold to speak his name in a world that's getting all darker. Speak the name of Jesus and tell this world, Jesus loves you and he gave himself for you. I'll close this in prayer. Lord, I do thank you.